with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, we're going to read verses 31 and 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan had desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, we all know that passage and we've heard it before. And the Lord's telling Simon that Satan has desired to have you. He wants to sift you as wheat. And the thing that the devil is after in our lives is our faith. It's always our faith. If he can if he can gnaw away at our faith and cause us to doubt God even a little bit and question the goodness of God, question the word of God, question the promises of God. Is it really all this true? Uh, it's really is God this personal God that answers all these these prayers. Does he really care for me? And so forth. If he can get us to doubt just a little bit, so much other stuff comes along with that. We'll start uh, being unsettled. We'll be double minded. We'll have fear come into our lives. We'll have confusion come into our lives. Probably we won't pray as we ought to pray. A lot of things would be affected when, when Satan can get at our faith. And believe me, he's after it. Okay? He's after our faith. And we're going to talk tonight about the cross and the devil. We've been talking mostly in this whole series about the cross and the flesh. Okay? And this is still going to deal with the flesh because Satan uh, appeals to the flesh. So we're, we're not really detouring from the cross and the flesh. And remember I heard, I know I've shared it before, that Pastor Clendenin had said that the blood of Jesus deals with the sin. We're, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, the Word of God says. But the cross deals with the flesh. And out of the flesh can come all these workings of the flesh, which are sinful. But that's where Satan, he wants to get and manifest, he wants to eat away at our faith, cause us to doubt God, and get us to sin. And we sin in our minds, and we sin in, in our flesh, in our words and actions and deeds. And so that's what he's after. And I have a, a real, this is a true story of a missionary, we're not, I'm not giving his name, but um, he had been a Christian for some time, and he was on the mission field serving the Lord, and he had always, he had never given much thought to the devil. Let's put it that way. He didn't, it's not that he didn't believe in the devil. He believed in the devil like the Word of God says, but he, he never took the devil very seriously. And one day, um, the Lord allowed him to go through an awfully horrible trial. So he'd been serving God for some years in the mission field in a foreign country. He had had a, a pretty good measure of fruit and success in his ministry, and the people that he was trying to help, that he was sent to help and minister to, poisoned his child and killed his child. And he said he was tormented by a legion of demons. He was still saved, but he was absolutely uh, blasted, I guess you would say, by a thousand demons. And he was saved, but he was completely... Uh, because of his, his faith, his faith was being attacked. He became double-minded, and he did not have the grounds to stand on to really properly com combat the devil. And we're going to talk about this tonight. And so, it was like his world was shattered, and you could imagine that. And now he was asked 
by the Lord or called upon by the Lord to go truly the extra mile because God still wanted him to minister to these people. I mean, can you imagine? I really can't. But God does things like this. He does things that are so beyond us. And, and then He helps us through. I don't know how to explain it. He, he, it's beyond us and then He carries us through. And He carries us through for His glory and He teaches us and He grows us. And that's what's going to happen with this man. But I'll share a little bit more of the story. He's called upon to love his enemies. He's called upon to be thankful to God. Right? And everything give thanks. Uh, his son's been poisoned by the young son, by the people he sent to minister to. And all he could do is cry to God and said, Lord, I know, like Paul, the things I, I ought to do, I don't do. I'm paraphrasing Romans 7. And he, he, he says, only God knows the tears that he wept during this time. But there was a deep down conviction of the reality of God. In the midst of all the despair and crying out to God and doubting and up and down in his faith and tears that were cried, he, he knew that God was going to keep him. There was underlying faith that kept him. And it says the devil whispered in his ears more than one time to just kill yourself. And it was, it was God that did not allow him to do that. And so what he realized is that the Lord was preparing him for a deeper walk with Him, to say the least, and a, and a deeper view of the cross and of Calvary. And it, He had to go there before He would be in a real position to, to properly resist the devil and to walk in that victory over the enemy. And so, what He found out as He was going through this and turning to God and crying out to God in despair is that He, his own, he began to see His own flesh, his own carnality, his own selfishness. And it was in his own selfishness. It's not, we're not told what it was or you know, the particular way his, his flesh was manifest, but it just his carnal nature still alive and well that was giving place or ground for Satan to, to attack him. It was almost like, uh, you know, you've, you've read about and studied uh, D-Day at Normandy Beach and the, the beaches there. They had to establish a, a beachhead. They had to, the Marines and the first ones took a lot of uh, blows, but they had to establish some kind of toehold, some kind of ground from which to launch an attack. And Satan, he had given play, Satan a place to, to launch his attack. Okay, the, the people, God allowed the circumstance, his child. Uh, to be killed like that, but he was allowing through his flesh the devil a place to attack his faith. All right, so keep that in mind. And, it, and what was happening is that God, he, he said, How am I going to resist this? He, he realized that he had to die to himself. There was too much of himself still living. And God brought him to the place. He said, Then God focused his entire being upon the cross and his proper the cross of Christ's proper place in his life. And the Bible does say that his death is to be our death, right? We've talked about it so many times. And when he finally resigned to that or yielded to to that death to self, just by faith, doing it not God did a great work and he says it was like a new day dawned. And, the, and he was able to fight the demons instantly left. 
So I know this is a, a, a strange kind of story uh, or an account, but y'all, we, we fight the devil. We do fight the devil. And I talk about this, and I believe, you know, trying to be balanced biblically with our enemy, the adversary. The Bible talks a great deal about him in the Old Testament. And I think even more in the New Testament, we see him. And we saw him back in the garden, right? And the serpent and all the way through. We have to realize we're in a battle. And the, the weapons of our warfare. Remember in Sunday school, we did our, our series on Ephesians, uh, on the, the armor of God. And a lot of y'all taught wonderful lessons on it. I want you to turn and look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. We're talking about the cross and the flesh, the need to die to ourselves, but specifically tonight, the need to die to ourselves to where we're not giving the enemy a place in us. Not that we're demon-possessed, but a place to launch, a foot, have a foothold or launch an attack against our faith. He's going to launch attacks against our faith, but we don't want to give him a place in our own lives. And the Bible is clear about this. So I want you to look at, at Ephesians Chapter 6, verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness wickedness in high places. He says right off the bat, it's not flesh and blood. That's not what we're wrestling against. The weapon is a spiritual warfare. That's what Peter was getting ready to go through. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. I know I've shared it with you, but I, that word sift means to riddle with holes. So I always picture machine gun fire against some building or a vehicle or something to where it's just totally up ready to collapse. It's so riddled with gunfire and bullets that have penetrated. That's what Satan wants to do to your faith. He wants to poke a hole here, poke a hole there, poke another hole there. You doubt here, you doubt here. Pretty soon, you're walking away from God. It happens. It happens to young people. They grow up and go to high school and then they go to college and, and they, you know, somebody's poking holes in their faith. Well, nobody can poke a hole in our faith or take our faith from us if we don't give them that place. You understand what I'm saying? We need to say, get thee behind me, Satan. That's really what Jesus said. And so we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so forth. Spiritual wickedness in high high places and so forth. And so we don't have time to read it, but in Ephesians, where we just read, Ephesians 1 talks about the fact that God has prepared us for that. So don't think, oh my goodness, what am I possibly going to do? We're going to do just what God's Word says we're going to do. And we're going to be strengthened just like His Word says we're strengthened. And greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. We are not to live in fear of the devil. And that's why I said we want to be in balance when we talk about the, the spiritual warfare, spiritual weapons, our adversary, a healthy respect. A biblical respect. He's not He's not a joke. He's not running around in a Halloween costume. Okay? He's a real devil who is really after your faith, who really has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he, God says He is the God of this world. He can do supernatural things. He has powers. Uh, but He is limited by God 
and he's totally limited in the life of a believer who is indwelt by the Spirit of Christ and in the Lord. And so we are told to put on the full armor of God. We don't live in fear of the devil. We have a holy, reverent fear of God. And, but we, don't, we understand the nature of the battle. And there's, a lot, there's deception. There's uh, doubt. And I think a lot of times, I've said it before personally, I think when we're tired, physically tired and drained, we have to be on guard more. You know, if you're working extra hours, if you're traveling uh, more than normal and, and, you know, your house is flooding and we're packing stuff out, whatever, you're not getting the normal rest. You're, you're, you notice, you look back and say, you know, I really hadn't spent my time in prayer like normal. And we need to watch. We need to guard. Those are not excuses, by the way, to, you know, to be weak in the faith or to stray from Christ. They are, might be tests from the Lord that He's allowing us to be tested. They're not excuses. Well, Lord, I couldn't pray because I was so busy. Uh, but I'm, I'm just saying from personal experience that we need to guard when we're tired, physically tired, or mentally ground, ground down. Is that a word? Grounded down. Uh, we need to, to guard at certain times like that. Or maybe we've had some great success, even spiritually, and we might be tempted to be lifted up in ourselves or something like that. There, there are times to, uh, to guard. We need to always guard. But in, in Ephesians 1 and 3, there's two different things that are mentioned. I'm just going to give you the, the Scriptures. In Ephesians 1, this is part of our preparation. It starts right off, in, I think, in verse 17, that we've been made to sit together or we're seated together with Christ Jesus. Where? In heavenly places. So think about that. We're sitting in a, a chair in Baton Rouge in this building. But spiritually speaking, it's not a stretch. We're not making it up. It's not a fairy tale. The Bible says we've been made to, to sit down with Christ Jesus or seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. And so that's like our position. When the Bible talks about Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, that was after the resurrection and the ascended. Uh, it doesn't just mean that Jesus is sitting down all the time. It's a position of authority. It's speaking of a position. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's resting. That's His place. And we have been made to sit together with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. And so we're not sitting all the time either. But it is our position. It's like our God-given position. We didn't earn it. We came to Jesus by faith. And He has placed us there in Christ Spiritually speaking, though our feet and our bodies still here on earth, that is our position. And so then we read a little further in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that we are strengthened with might through God's Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And so there's an order. First, we're with Christ up there as a position. Secondly, it's Christ in us down here by His Spirit. So we have the authority, that legal position, if you want to call it that, of being seated in a heavenly position of victory and power with Almighty God, with the Son of God, because of His victory on the cross and resurrection. And we have Christ in us down here by the Holy Spirit, actually living through us and working through us and loving through us and so forth and fighting through us. 
And so um, we need to yield. Remember, the Bible says in Hebrews that God is a consuming fire. And so he is desiring to consume off all the chaff, all that's not of the Lord. The Holy Spirit, one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit is fire, right? So he's working in us as Christ is in us to to bring an end to ourselves. We're talking about the cross. And then when that's done and when we're maybe not fully done, but when we're walking by faith in that, we're in a position to fight the devil. We're in a position to to resist the devil to flee temptation, to resist the devil. But we have to come to that place where we we see the battle, first of all. We understand our enemy. We understand our position in Christ. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so as 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 long as the believer is living in the flesh, and I'll ask you this, can a believer live in the flesh? Absolutely. You have before. I have before. Uh, the Church of Corinth is a perfect example. He even says, your babes in Christ, they're in Christ, but he says, are you not carnal? You're carnal. You're carnal, okay? And they're, all their actions and all that they did in the church was carnal. And he was, Paul was rebuking them for that. But as long as the believer is living in the flesh, we're not going to really be much of a, put up much meaningful resistance to the devil. Greater is he that's in us than he is in the world. Christ in us. But if I'm living in the flesh, even as a believer, I would be, I would say we're easy pickings for the devil. Can he take you and take you to hell? No, he cannot. He can do so many other things that that God doesn't want him to do to our lives and we don't want him to do in and through our lives. And we, we could start listing the things off. He can, he can ruin our testimony for the Lord by causing us to fall in some public sin or some notable sin. And there they go the mockers again. And we've given them more fuel for the fire to mock all the hypocrites in the church, right? Uh, he can do that if we, if we give place to Him. And so if I'm living in the flesh, I'm not going to be much of a, putting up much resistance to the devil. Probably I'm not going to be even recognizing what he's desiring to do in my life or hearing my good shepherd when he's trying to speak to me. But there was a, a, a Bible teacher who was saying, who said this, that self is not only the seat of sin, self, okay, and the habitation of sin, but it's the very life of sin. And you think about that. Where does sin come from? It comes from self. It comes from Eve saying, I think it looks good for food. I think it's a treat to, to be, make me wise that I'll be like God. I want it. It comes from self, right? And, and that's the seed of it. That's where it gets started. The devil comes along and he tempts, tempts us in our minds, in our flesh, in our carnality and to, to sin. And so that has to be dealt with. Self has to be dealt with. Think about it. If, if I'm decreasing and he's increasing, me, the, the, the man, the person, Randy, is dying more and more by the cross of the Lord, by the working of the Holy Spirit. The devil has less and less uh, place or grounds to even which, even which to attack. You understand what I'm saying? And that We want to rob him of that. 
We want to give ourselves fully to the Lord. And he says, but uh, one, of the, one of the most subtle forms of self is to blame the devil for everything. When really, he could only have a place in me if I... I'm talking about as Christians, okay? As Christians. Oh, the devil made, caused me to do it. The devil stole my joy. The devil did this. The devil caused me not to pray. The devil caused me not to come to church today. He could only do that if I, in my flesh, gave him that authority, that beachfront, that beachhead, right, to, to, to launch his attack from. And so that's why we're talking about the cross and the devil. We're still talking about the cross and self, the cross and flesh, because the, Satan appeals to the flesh. He appeals to the flesh. That could be your mind, your carnal mind, and he appeals to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and so forth. None of it is of God. It's of the world. And so uh, to blame the devil for everything is, is really not good theology. It's not good practice. He's real. He's a formidable adversary. He's greater than me, but he's not greater than Jesus Christ in me. I don't play around with him. He's not a joke. He's not a fairy tale. But I don't make him bigger than he is either and bigger than my God. And every time I sin against the Lord or I'm a jerk or I'm rude or I'm impatient or uh, somebody needed help and I didn't answer my phone because I didn't feel like going and helping, uh, I can't blame the devil for that. That was just me in myself and in my flesh. So that's what I'm saying. There's got to be a right balance or a proper understanding. So let's look, if you're still in Ephesians, look at chapter 4, verse 27. A very important verse. And we've, we've already mentioned it here tonight, but I want to look at it again. Ephesians 4, 27. Neither give place to the devil. So this whole passage right here, in the last few verses of chapter 4, which we didn't read, are, are like bullet points almost. They're telling us quick things to do and don't do. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Let him that stole steal no more and so forth. And he's telling us things to do as Christians. He's not telling you how to get saved. not telling you how to be born again. He's telling the Christian how to live day in and day out. And right in the middle of all these bullet points or instructions or commandments of wise spiritual, godly living, and things that help us, he says, neither give place to the devil. That means that I could. Is it possible? Absolutely. Absolutely. How, what are some ways we can give place to the devil? We could, we could neglect the Word of God. Been three weeks since I read my Bible. You know, uh, we're given place. Uh, neglecting our prayer time. Neglecting the assembling of ourselves together. The body where we're strengthened. The whole body's nourished, the Bible says, and built up and, and strengthened by the Lord who's the head of His church who supplies every joint. But I've been neglecting because I didn't feel like going. Uh, what I watch on TV, absolutely. What I focus literally these two eyeballs on and say, I'm going to look at that and I'm going to watch it and I'm going to listen to that. Music, TV show, whatever. Uh, we're giving place to the devil. That's his 
workshop, so to speak, and he's going to go to tinkering away. Okay? That is his workshop. It's not a joke. He's going to absolutely go to, to tinkering away at your faith uh, to get you to doubt God, to get you to sin, just like you did with Eve. Yea, hath God said, right? He asked the Eve, yea, has God said you're really going to die if you eat the fruit? Surely you're not going to die. He went to tinkering away. And she gave him place. She could have just said, no, I don't know who you are, but you're a liar. God Almighty said I'm going to die. You understand what I'm saying? He, she could have handled that. And, and um, Adam just willfully sinned when he saw his wife do it. But that, the Bible tells us we can't give place to the devil. And that, those things, and, and you could list a, a thousand others where we can give place to the devil. Don't do it. Okay? Don't do it. If we do it, we can ask God to repent. I mean, ask God to forgive us and we can repent and turn from it and say, I'm, I'm taking that back. Satan, I gave you place last night in my attitude. I decided to mope all night long. I moped around the house. Uh, I felt sorry for myself. I kicked a hole in the wall. I was discouraged. I was depressed. I was mad at the world. Uh, and I gave place. God forgive me. Right? We're, we're to count our blessings. We're to be thankful. We're to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And I moped for the past two days. And I gave Satan a place. God forgive me for being unthankful. For being grumbling and complaining. Forgive me and Satan, I'm serving you notice. I'm taking back that place that I gave you. It's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. Come back, you know, Jesus, take it all back. Take all the little ground or foothold that I gave uh, or beachhead that I gave the enemy. I don't want him to have it. You don't want him to have it. Thank you, Lord. And thank him. And he restores us back. You don't have to stay there. So there's hope. There's great hope. But, but it is very important not to give place to the devil. Jesus said, The prince of this world cometh, John 14, 30, and has what? I love this scripture. Has nothing in me. That's a perfect example. He's the only man that could really say that. The finest of all believers in Old Testament and New Testament couldn't, couldn't say that and it be perfectly true. They're mature believers. They're believers that are, are, are close to Jesus walking without a shadow between them and their Savior and walking in victory and power. All, plenty of them. Praise God. But to say the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. There's no, he had no beachhead. He had no... I liken it to... to uh, there was no place where the devil could put his hooks in Jesus. You know, uh, there's, there's no little area. No place. I'm looking around in Jesus. Maybe he's arrogant. You know, no, but he's meek. He's not my meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. He's not, he's not. I can't find it in pride. I can't find it in stubbornness. I can't find it in self-will. He said, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me, right? I do always those things that please the Father. And on and on, the devil's looking. And then he tempted him three times in the wilderness with hunger. Well, the Lord tested him with hunger. The devil tempted him to, to satisfy that desire of eating in a, in a uh, disobedient manner. 
in a way they would have been disobedient to his father. And so, couldn't find any hooks in him. He really meant that. He praised God. He's our Savior. And he wouldn't, he had to be sinless. He had to be sinless. He had to be that um, void of the devil and of the devil's schemes having any effect upon him. And so the moment we give place to self and we give it, sink down into ourselves, maybe self-pity, maybe uh, arrogance, whatever, we sink down into ourselves, we're given a place for the devil. We're given a place for the devil. God forgives us as quick as we sin. We can be forgiven of sin. And take that place back. Don't be ignorant. Don't walk around just ignorant and go from sin to sin to a little more sin to another sin. Break off your sins with righteousness. Nip it in the bud, so to speak. Stop it. Okay, I did sin. I can't take it back. But I can be forgiven of it. And I, and I can walk forward in godliness. And in obedience to the Lord. That's very important. So we all know the Scripture. Therefore, submit yourselves uh, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. James 4, 7. And he will flee from you. But you notice the order. I know that you know it, but the, the first order of business there is submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's what we're doing tonight. We're joyfully doing it. We want to be here. But I know physically you're tired. And I'm tired. But what we're doing by being here tonight is submitting to the Lord. You're listening and you're paying attention to the sermon because it's God's Word. We're submitting to the authority of God's Word. That's what we're doing. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And I think it's a pattern. It's not just a one-time, oh, the devil's coming. Let me run over here and read a scripture real quick or throw up some hallelujah prayer real quick. We might do that too, okay? But live this way as a pattern submitted to God. Every time self tries to usurp that, uh, the Lordship of Christ, it needs to be cast down. Whether it's in our minds, we cast down every imagination and high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, we bring it captive to the obedience of Christ. And so, um, we submit ourselves to God, we resist the devil, and he will flee. So if I'm, as a believer, I'm only talking about believers tonight. If I am, as a, as a believer, am walking in disobedience to God, I'm not going to have that authority to properly... And, I mean, seriously, we're not going to have any power to resist the devil. He tells us, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so I want to close with a few thoughts here tonight. How did how did Jesus really manifest his victory over Satan. He did it specifically in the cross. Right? He did it specifically in the cross. It looks so opposite. It looks so... Uh, we would never in a million years think of defeating someone by dying. We just wouldn't. That, that wouldn't enter our thoughts. Salvation of the, Lord, of the Lord's... It's, it's, uh, it's of the Lord. It's the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our sight. But he defeated Satan and crushed him under his heel by the cross. 
by laying down his life, there was real power in that. In fact, that's the greatest power. And then the resurrection rising from the dead. All Satan can do is steal, kill, and destroy. He can do that. He's been given that authority. Now, he does not have that authority in your life when we're walking with the Lord. But he, does, he can steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. He defeated Satan by laying down his life. He defeated Satan by dying. He defeated Satan. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 8, 9, uh, that he became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Wherefore, so it's directly because of that, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow. That includes the devil, by the way, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. That Jesus uh, took Christ and that every tongue should confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue. That includes every demon in hell. That includes the, the head of all the demons, Satan. It includes him. So Christ won. We're told right there in Philippians, he defeated Satan. Although Satan's still alive and walking through the earth and so forth, his days are numbered. There's not going to be a change. There's not going to be a redo. He's defeated. He's just on borrowed time right now. He's on borrowed time. At the end of the tribulation period, he'll be bound for a thousand years. After the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ on the earth, he will be loosed for a season where he will be defeated. The fire of heavens of God is going to come out of heaven and consume the enemies, and Satan will be cast into the lake of fire where the false prophet and beast will have already been for a thousand years, and he will be forever and forever. It says the smoke of his torment rises up forever. He's done. But he's done now. His defeat came at Calvary. His defeat came at Calvary. Think about that. He's on borrowed time. He's just living out his days. And he's, he's vengeful and he's hateful and he's spiteful. And uh, he's still going to do all these horrible things that the Lord's going to allow him to do. And in the tribulation period, it would be like his heyday uh, where he's in the greatest position of global authority through the Antichrist that he's ever been. And that's limited to the day, to the very day, to the battle of Armageddon. But it was on the cross, laying down his life. He became obedient unto death. Our Savior did even the death on the cross. Because of that, God gave him a name that's above every name. So the victory came there. So here's the cross. That's the cross of our Lord. That's our cross that we're crucified with Christ. We have to come to the place where we can actually say, I'm crucified with Christ. When we come to that place where we can honestly, it doesn't mean we're perfect. It means that by faith we're reckoning it, reckoning it so. Y'all understand that? Because we would all be here just being very frustrated thinking, is there no real progress? I can't. I thought I was crucified with Christ, but then I lost my temper today. Then, then we repent for losing our temper and we confess it to God. But by faith, we count it as being so. 
and we trust God. And that's where the authority comes from. Satan is after our faith. Well, by faith, I'm trusting Jesus who died and rose again. By faith, his word says, uh, likewise also reckon yourself indeed to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ the Lord. God, I'm counting that to be so in my life. I know there's much sanctification that still needs to be done in my life, much growth, much maturity. I'm not claiming to be perfect now. Paul says, not that I've already attained, right? He was still pressing towards the mark. But I think you could also say he was reckoning it to be so. And he did say, I'm crucified with Christ. Having already attained all that is for me in Christ, all that Christ has for me, and all my conformity to the Lord of Jesus Christ himself, I know that I have not attained yet. But I am crucified with Christ. This is faith, y'all. Satan's after your faith. He wants you to doubt the word of God. He wants you to doubt the promises of God, the goodness of God, uh, the favoritism of God. Does he love Roy and Karen more than he loves me? Uh, you know, he'll do it for he did it for, for Moody or he did it for, for uh, you know, who, whoever, Paul. But he would never do that for me. And he wants us to doubt. He wants us to doubt, and that's what he's after. But the Lord keeps us. And I want to close with this one scripture. Turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Let's read verses 14. Let's pick up to 13. Colossians 2.13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh as before we were saved, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled that means utterly ruined, okay, or defeated, having spoiled principalities and powers. What did we read in Ephesians 6 that we fight against? Not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Christ, having spoiled principalities and powers, past tense, he made a show of them openly where and when did this happen, triumphing over them in it. This was all in the cross, okay? This was all in the cross. That he, he won this victory and triumphed over the devil and the cross. And so that's where we need to be. We need to be in Christ. We're seated together in our position in heavenly places already. It's done. It's where we are, whether we feel like it or not. That's what the Bible tells me in Ephesians 1. And we're strengthened in our inner man by the Holy Spirit to walk this walk to fight and resist the devil. Amen. But we need, to, we need to wise up. We need to understand the nature of the battle. We need to understand. And then if there's one thought that I would leave you with tonight that to kind of sum it up is that we don't want to give place to the devil. And we give place to the devil not just by big, gross, horrible, immoral things that we do or think, but by flesh, pampering the flesh, allowing the flesh to to thrive. Allowing my flesh to thrive when really that needs to go.
Self can't cast out self. The flesh can't deal with my my flesh can't deal with my own flesh. I don't need to go see a, a worldly counselor to counsel my flesh and my mind. I need it's a spiritual battle. And so any place that I'm given to the devil, any place where flesh is rising up and wants to be ministered to, my flesh wants to be fed, my flesh wants to be satisfied, my flesh wants to be indulged, my flesh wants to be petted and pampered, that's where I need to die. And the working of God is by His cross, not literally nailing ourselves to a cross, by coming, but coming to the altar getting before the Lord. Fill me with your spirit. It's the spirit and the flesh are contrary. We can't do both. So if I'm filled with the spirit, it's leaving. And God's a consuming fire. He's burning off those things and, and working that out of my life to d destroy it. Therefore, robbing the devil of a place to attack my faith. Amen. Uh, Y'all stand with me tonight. Do you come? Let's just take a few moments and meet with the Lord at the altar. Pray for a fresh new filling by his, of His Spirit. Maybe God's shown you, hey, look, He's convicted you of sin. Maybe He's convicted you that you have not been diligent in guarding your heart. You've given place to the devil. He showed you tonight where in your life you're given place to the devil. And He wants you to take it back. He wants you to repent of it. And it'll all be settled tonight. He wants you to walk in in victory. I gave the example of grumbling and complaining for 48 hours. I gave place to the devil when I did that. Uh, angry at life. Named the 10 things in my life that are not going right. That I, I want all 10 of them to be different. I'm disgusted with this, 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 and this. And why is the Lord letting it happen this way? And I'm grumbling and complaining. I need to go to God. Forgive me. I deserve hell. You've been merciful to me. These things that are happening in my life are to make me more like Jesus. And I have sinned. And I've given place to the devil. And I ask you to forgive me. And I want that area to be taken back. Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus.